I don't know if you ever heard the expression when you were small, wait till your father gets home. At my house, it was wait till your daddy gets home. Very rarely was that a positive thing for me. You know, I guess it could be positive. You know, if mom had baked a cake or something and it was sitting there and, and you've been begging for a slice all day and she says, you know, wait, wait till your daddy gets home. At that point, you're looking forward. You're looking out the window. You're, you're leaving your hot breath on the window looking for dad to pull up so you can get that cake. But there are times when wait till your daddy gets home is not a good thing. And I've experienced those times when I've done something I shouldn't have done, said something I shouldn't have said. And here we go. We get, get the expression, wait till your daddy gets home. Wait till he gets home. Because with my dad, my dad was chief of police. And so he always had a very thick, wide belt. And the belt was kind of our form of discipline around the house. Now you go, oh my goodness, that's, that seems rather harsh. It was. Some of you experienced it, uh, but it was effective. I will give it that. When we talk about Jesus coming back, and you know, Jesus promised he'd come back. And the Bible continues to reiterate and, and encourage us that Jesus is coming back. Reminding us over and over that Jesus is coming back. When we read this, sometimes we start to wonder, don't we? Is he really coming back? It's been, it's been a while. Is he coming back? Is he, is he returning? Why, now, why is the Bible telling us this? Is the Bible telling us this because we need to be cowering in fear that Jesus is coming back? There's some people when they hear that Jesus is returning us, that's not really a good thing. It, it brings with it guilt. It brings with it uh, confusion. It brings with it uh, maybe even a little anger. But, you know, some people would go, you know, I, I'd rather he not. <laughs> but for us, many of you pray the prayer, come Lord Jesus. And as we take a look at this world, which seems to be just crumbling in its moral foundations, crumbling in its, its, understand, uh, its respect for humanity, the more we see that, the more, the more we're praying, come Lord Jesus. So for us, when Jesus comes back, it's a good thing. So just like wait till your, wait till your father gets home could be good or bad, for some people, Jesus coming back is not a good thing. But for us, it should be a, a wonderful thing. Now, James, I want to remind you, James is writing to an audience. He addresses it. We see this in the first chapter. He's writing it to the, the Jewish believers who are scattered, who are scattered. Why were they scattered? They were scattered because of persecution. Persecution came in Jerusalem, and men and women and families had to leave. Oftentimes, leaving family, uh, leaving businesses, leaving homes, leaving possessions behind in order to flee the persecution that was coming on them. Now, these may have been uh, pretty well-off people. They may have been what we consider middle-class people. But what we see as we read through James is that they ended up being the poor. They may have had a middle-class lifestyle in Jerusalem, but now they were day laborers just barely getting by day after day after day and not knowing when persecution would come back on them. Maybe they were experiencing some already. 
So this is the group that, to which James is writing, and, and he reminds them that Jesus is coming. So let's take a look at that. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up here on the screen for you. It's also printed in your handout. If you do not have a Bible, please let us know. We'd love to put one in your hands so that you can have your own copy of God's Word that you can read and come to understand as the Holy Spirit speaks to you Uh, through that word. James chapter 5, beginning reading in verse 7. Here's what we read. Therefore, dear brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord is coming near. Lord's coming is near. Do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Since Jesus is coming back, what James wants to help his readers and by extension us to understand is, what are we doing here in the meantime? While Jesus, while we're waiting for him to come back, how are we to live? What is our life supposed to look like? And he, he gives us four, um, four encouragements. And I want to I point those out to you. The first one is in verses 7 and 8, he tells us to be patient. He tells us be patient. Patient. I know sometimes we're, we're trying our best to be as faithful as we know how to be. And as we're doing that, we find life getting more and more challenging. We actually thought it would work the other way. We thought as we became more and more faithful to God that, that the road would kind of smooth out a little bit and the bumps would be gone and we'd have less stuff coming at us. But for some of you, the, the more you've tried to be faithful and to walk with Christ, the more challenging you find life to be. And, and maybe even to the point, you wonder where God is in the struggle. You wonder where all these promises, when they're going to be fulfilled in your life. But James says, let me give you an example. And the example he gives is of a farmer. Now, some of you grew up on a farm. You're well acquainted with a farm. Um, I, my, both my grandfathers were farmers, so I'm well acquainted with a farm. Some of you may not be so acquainted with the farm. I mean, you actually think that those vegetables grow in the bins at Publix and Ingalls. That's, that's, they just grow up from there. Well, obviously you don't. How does this farming thing work? What James would tell us is farming requires a lot of patience. Now, in our day, you can ride by and you see these fields that have these large irrigation uh, pipes that are running through it and they're sprinkling water as it goes throughout. But in James' day, that was not like that. In order to get rain on your crops, to get water on your crops, you had to wait for the rain to come. And the rain really only came twice a year, you know, in, in big bunches. It came in the spring, the early rains, and it came in the fall in the latter rains. But sometimes not a lot came. And so farmers would be dependent on this rain. Now they'd go out and, and they'd till the soil. They'd 
They'd plant their seed. They'd do everything that they could, but they were absolutely dependent on the rains to come. Sometimes they'd walk out in their fields and they'd pick up a hand of that dried up dust and it'd just blow out of their hand. And they see that the ground is dried up and their crops are about to dry up. At other times, the rain comes, but it comes in such abundance that they're thinking their crops may be entirely washed away. Can I tell you, things haven't changed a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, there's certain advances in science and advances in irrigation, but for the most part, the farmers are still doing the same things they've always done. Tilling the soil, planting the seeds, pulling the weeds, and waiting. You can go out there with your watch and you can time it, but it's not going to grow any faster. You don't measure it by your watch. You measure it by the calendar. And you wait. And that's the example that James is giving us. He says, listen, believers, I want you to think about this. Think about the farmer. There's nothing he can do to get that harvest to come any earlier than it's going to come. He's doing everything he can do. Most of it is waiting. And you as believers in Jesus Christ, you got to wait too. The farmer's hope is in the harvest. That's why he plants. That's why he weeds. What is our hope in? James tells us our hope is ultimately in the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ. When the skies are peeled back and Jesus shows up again that is our hope and what he's encouraging us to do is here hold on to that hope no matter what you're going through now no matter how difficult life has become no matter how much you have lost for Jesus name hold on to there's hope to that hope you're not going to get you you're not going to sit here and just keep timing Jesus showing up he's going to come when he comes things may not be going as you want them to go for many of you That's exactly the case. But James would say, be patient. Jesus promised he's coming again. Jesus will come again. In verse 9, he gives us another encouragement, and that encouragement is to be kind. I don't know about you, but when I get impatient, I get a little short-tempered. When I get fatigued... (laughs) I can get a little irritated, a little angry, a little frustrated. Now, if this happens for us in our normal daily routine, just imagine how it must have been for those who had lost perhaps everything except the clothes on their backs when they had to flee Jerusalem. They lost it all. And now persecution was always right at the door. The frustration that they must have had, the stress that they must have been under. I'll confess to you that even on mission trips, even a week-long mission trip, you're out in the hot sun, you're working all day, pretty strenuous, pretty stressful stuff. I mean, it's not, hard, it's not complicated, it's just hard. And, 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 you know, when you're, you know, soft like me, you're not used to doing that kind of stuff. I don't have any concrete blocks in my yard that I just move around from place to place. And then, of course, you go to bed at night, and I'm soft. I'm used to air conditioning. I, a matter of fact, I crank, I, some of you crank yours up at night. I crank mine down at night. I want it to be as cool as I can possibly stand it without Nancy chasing me out of the house. 
But when you're over there on a mission trip, you don't necessarily have air conditioning. And so at night you're sleeping in the heat and you're sleeping in your own sweat. Now after three or four days of that, I tend to get a little snippy. If you don't believe me, you can ask Nancy. She's the one who, I, you know, she's the one that typically sees it a little bit more. I, I try to try to hide it. You know, I, I don't want to. I want to come off as as some kind of grouch around everybody else. But around the people you love most, you're, you drop your guard a little bit more, and so you tend to get a little snippy. But that's just a week. Imagine the stress that these folks were under. Imagine the difficulty that they were going through. And so James says, here's what I want you to understand. God, he says, is at the door. God is at the door. And he's not saying that because, hey, wait till your father gets home. You keep acting unkind towards your brothers and sisters and arguing and disputing with them. You know, God's going to come give you a spanking. That's not what they're saying. He's not saying it as a warning. He's saying it as an encouragement. Because James knew how it was to be short-tempered and frustrated when people get under stress. And that's why he wants his readers to understand God's at the door. Don't let your stress, don't let the problems in this life, don't let what other people are doing to you make you take your frustrations out on your brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, be kind. Because the king is coming to take us all home. That person that gets on your nerves, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? The king's coming to take them home too. God's at the door for them as well as for you. And as we live together in the stress, listen, this, you can get pretty stressed. Even in living, even here in 21st century America, it can get pretty stressful. And when you're stressed, you need to understand, don't take it out on your brothers and sisters. Because God loves them as he loves you. You are no more perfect than they are. And he's coming for you all. Then in verse 10, he encourages us with these words, be steadfast. And he gives us another example. He gives us the example of the prophets who were obedient to God and they suffered because of it because they were obedient but they that didn't mean they were exempt from suffering they suffered because they were faithful in hebrews chapter 11 we read this and i want you to listen to this i want you to listen to what faithful people of god the prophets endured in order to remain faithful says some men were tortured not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised. In other words, they were looking forward to a reward that in this life never came. We think about Moses. Moses 
put up with all kinds of mess. Wandering the wilderness with those disobedient, stiff-necked, stubborn, hard-headed people. And yet Moses only saw the promised land from a mountaintop. Never put foot in it. Abraham had a promise from God. Abraham never saw the fulfillment of that promise. Which, quite honestly, listen, you're the fulfillment of that promise. Abraham never lived to see that. Many of the prophets never lived to see the fulfillment of what they said would come to pass. We need to understand that life is bigger than the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that you and I have on this earth. It's bigger than that. And it's bigger than what we are going through. We don't stay faithful to God because he's going to bless us. I don't want you to miss this. Our reason for staying faithful to God and faithful to the call of God on our lives is not to make our lives easier. In fact, for the prophets, for the people that James is talking to, and maybe for some of you here, being faithful to God can be very, very costly. If you've got some time this week and you don't have another assignment, let me just encourage you to open the book of Jeremiah. Some of you are familiar with Jeremiah's life. The more faithful Jeremiah was to the call of God in his life, the worse things seemed to get for him. Sometimes life is that way. I know you can turn on the TV and you can listen to preachers who say, If you'll just do this, do this, do this, and send me a check, then your life's going to be nothing but sunshine, butterflies, and roses. When I open God's Word, I don't see that holding water. In fact, many who are faithful, many who are faithful, suffer because they're faithful. We have modern examples of that right now. Our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. Some have lost homes. Some have lost businesses. Some have lost limbs. Some have lost family. Some have lost their own lives in order to be faithful to Christ. They trusted in a Savior who died for them, rose for them, and as James reminds us, is coming back for them. That's their trust. That's their hope. And what James was saying is saying is be steadfast. Hold on to that. Know that his promise will be fulfilled in your life. Your life may never get any easier. But God is true to his promise. And he's coming back for you. One other encouragement he gives, and I want you to hear this because this ties all the other three together, and that is to be hopeful. And he gives another example. He gives the example of Job. Now, some of you go, what in the world does a book of Job have to do with hope? Some of you started to read Job, and you get halfway through it and go, I don't know if I can stand this. This is bad. This, I, I, I can't get through it all. Is there, is there no happy ending? Is there no... no, is there no 
the way that, you know, sunshine comes out the other end of this thing. What is going on? Well, if you start in the first chapter of Job, you find out what kind of guy Job is. He is upright. He is a righteous man. And, and he's, got it, he's got it going on. He's got a great family. He's got a, a great reputation among the community. He's got a lot of flocks. He's got a lot of herds. He has a bunch of people who are working for him. Job is in the 1%. He is on the top of the heap. Job has the life that you and I would want to have if we lived back in that time. Well, if you read in the first chapter, it's kind of interesting. We see that Satan comes to God. And he says, I want to let you know, God, this guy named Job over here. The only reason he's faithful to you is because you've protected him. But if, if he had a little pain in his life, if he lost something important to him, if, if he were ever disappointed, he'd turn on you like that. God says, oh, no, no, not Job. Not Job. He's a real deal. He will be faithful to me even if he loses a great deal. And so Satan says, okay, let me have a crack at it. And this is the part I really don't like in this story. God says, okay. Okay. Now, I would rather God say, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not playing that game. We're not going down that road. But he says, okay. If you know the story, you know what happened. But I want to share it with you anyway. It's in Job chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. I want you to just listen to, to this because some of you will maybe recognize a little bit of your own life in this. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking uh, with their, in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped in and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now he was still speaking. When another messenger came and reported, a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And that messenger was still speaking. When another came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. And he was still speaking. When another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house and it collapsed on the young people so that they died and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped saying, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of Yahweh the Lord. And throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Now, this is about as worse as it gets. And you can imagine that people in the community would come around Job and go, uh, Job, you, you know, I feel bad for you, man. You lost so much in your life. Thank goodness it couldn't get any worse. Well, if you keep reading, it gets worse. After losing everything, 
all of his property, all of his servants, all of his family with the exception of his wife. Satan comes back to God and he says, well, maybe you were right this time. But if he was physically touched, if he was physically hurt, that just might do it. And so God says, okay. He said, don't take his life. But you can do to him anything else you want. And so he gives, he gives him these boils from his, his, his head to his feet. Now, I don't want to get gross here. But this, this is not a pleasant thing. This is not like acne. Okay, these are very painful, tender, sore, gross all over his body, pus-filled it's just not pleasant. If you were to have these, these kinds of abscesses on your body, you'd go to the doctor. You'd, you'd have those things uh, lanced and, and drained. And then they'd apply antibiotics and, and bandages to try to, to do something for you. But Job had nothing. In fact, Job goes down to the local garbage dump. He isolates himself from civilization. And he sits in a pile of ashes. And he takes the broken pieces of clay pots that are laying there and there's tons of them around and he's scraping his sores to let that stuff out this is job's life now he's lost everything including his health the only thing he has left is his wife now some people criticize job's wife but hang on a minute job's wife has also lost everything and in that day and time women had nothing of their own so she didn't even have a provider because her provider was sitting out in a pile of ashes his wife comes to him and she says do you still retain your integrity curse god and die i mean you can hear the the bitterness that has overtaken her because of all this loss and job answers you speak as a foolish woman speaks Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? And throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now, why is all this happening to Job? It's happening because he was righteous. That's why it's happening. He didn't didn't do anything to deserve it. As a matter of fact, he was doing exactly the opposite. He was faithful to God in his life, and yet all this came upon him. Now, why does James use this illustration of Job? He uses it because this is what his fellow believers were experiencing, at least in some small way. They, too, had experienced loss. The loss of nearly everything they had. And for us, to a smaller extent, we may experience loss for the sake of Christ. But even when you're faithful, it doesn't mean things are going to go your way. Job suffered, and he didn't enjoy his suffering. He endured his suffering. And quite honestly, if you read through the book of Job, he didn't understand it either. He never lost his faith in God. He continued to trust God, but he had no idea why he was going through what he was going through. Job is our example of persevering. But listen, what James wants us to hear is he's also our example of hope. 
He trusted God even when he didn't understand. Now, if you read all the way through the book of Job, what you see on the other end is that God did restore Job. He gave Job sons and daughters, and he gave Job, you know, camels and flocks, and he gave, he restored Job. I mean, Job was actually richer and better off on the other end of the story than he was at the beginning of the story. And be careful here. This does not mean for us that when we suffer loss for the sake of Christ in this life, that before we die, God is going to restore it all. That's not the hope that James is pointing us to. The hope that James is pointing us to is in a greater restoration that is coming to us. In a better day that is coming to us. A time when God is going to fix it all. Is going to wipe every tear from every eye. A time when God is going to give us more than we have ever had. More than we could dare ask or imagine. Why? Because the Lord, as James says, is compassionate and merciful. He's not beating up on you. He's not picking on you. The Lord who is coming is compassionate and merciful. And he has more in store for you than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. And it's not just for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. It's forever. Whatever is his is going to be ours forever. No matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it is, no matter how confused and confounded you may be, you may be following God the best you know how to follow Him and facing problem after problem after problem. You may be wondering if God's paying attention or if he even cares, but James would come and sit beside you in your seat this morning and he would say, listen, don't lose hope. Be hopeful. Trust in a God who is very compassionate and merciful. Life is hard, he would say, but God is good. And you may not understand what's going on, but trust in the Lord, a compassionate Lord, A merciful Lord, because God has a plan for you and a future for you. And his plan is not what you're facing right now. It's part of it, but it's not the end of it. And what God has in store for you, no one can take away. Persecution can't take it away. Poverty can't take it away. Nothing can take it away from you. Jesus is coming soon. And when he comes, he'll set us free. And when he comes, he'll set all things right. All injustices, all evil, all prejudice, all persecution. And while we wait, even though we may wait in tears, James would remind us, be patient. Jesus promised he'd come back and he is coming. Be kind. Just because others treat you badly, you don't have to do the same thing. Be steadfast. Hold on. It's not easy, but don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Be hopeful. 
Your hope is not tied to what you're going through right now. Your hope is anchored in a Savior. Let's pray. Father God, in this room, there are people who are going through some really challenging times. Pain in their own bodies, illness in their families, loss, children that they are worried about. Some are disobedient. They don't know, they don't know if they're going to come back to the faith. They, they've wandered off. For some, it's children worried about parents. For some, it's economic. But Lord, we recognize that in our own country and in this world, there are many whose struggles seem to be far greater than ours. I thank you that your word speaks to us to remind us that we have a Savior who's coming back for us. And when he comes back, he's going to set all things right. But we also have a Savior who is with us. A Savior who is encouraging us. A Savior who is empowering us. A Savior who is loving us each and every day, each and every moment. Father God, my prayer is that if there's someone here who does not know that Savior, today could be their day. A day to embrace a Savior and a day to embrace a hope both in this life and the one to come. And Lord God, if there are those who who are here today who who just need to come and, and bow their knee before you, brokenhearted, confused, I pray, Father, that you would draw them to yourself. That they would come and just pour their hearts out before you. And find the mercy and the compassion that comes from your hand. Lord, there are some who need a place to belong, a place to call home, a place to love and be loved, a place to grow, a place to serve. And Lord, if this is the place that you've called them to be, then bring them to yourself. Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do today, Lord, we want to do it. We don't want to delay. We don't want to put it off. If you call us to come, we want to come. And so, Lord, you work in this moment, in this time, to bring about your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.